As you find your seats, if you'll turn with me uh, in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 18. If you didn't bring your Bible, no problem. There should be one right in front of you in the pew, and the words also will be on the screen in front of you. And so as we continue our, our sermon series on David, this is actually week nine, uh, as we're looking at this amazing King David, and we get to one of what I think is one of the amazing, saddest chapters in Scripture. Now hang on. It's not that this sermon's just going to be sad, uh, but it's going to be very reflective for all of us. I believe the Holy Spirit's got something for each one of us to show us where we fit in this ancient story. But God's people are on the run. God's anointed king, David, is on the run. Uh, They're in the midst of a civil war. Uh, There is a coup that has taken place, a coup that has taken place in David, The beloved king is running from his life. Um, David has been forced out of Jerusalem, uh, and he's on the run. Uh, He's trying to to hide uh, from those who have come into power. Uh, Not only that, but the concubines he left back in Jerusalem, uh, those uh, have come in behind him, have defiled his concubines. I mean, this is a horrible scene uh, for David. David's deadly pursuer to make matters worse, David's betrayer to make matters awful, there is a son. There's a son named Absalom. And Absalom has driven dad out of power. And he's run him out of town. And he's done things with dad's concubines that no one should do. And he did it his own son. And he's pursuing him and wants to take his very life. You know, let's just take a moment and remind ourselves you know, where we are in David's story. I often think of uh, the, the TV series that I, I, I watched. I remember years ago watching 24, and every new episode would come on and always say, previously on 24. They would try to connect the dots uh, to where you have been and kind of remind you of an ongoing story. So let me tell you, previously in the life of David, uh, this godly man, Uh, We have learned much about him. We've learned that this is David, a heart after God. I mean, if there was ever a Renaissance man, it was David. He was a warrior. He was a singer. I mean, the guy was a man's man. I mean, he was an incredible king. Uh, But David had fallen. We've looked previously. We've seen that David had fallen. He had really, really fallen. David, the God's anointed king uh, over God's people, he has committed adultery with one of his beloved men, Uriah the Hittite. Uh, He's taken Uriah the Hittite's wife, Bathsheba, uh, as if it was his own to take. Uh, She would get pregnant. Clearly it was David's child. So David would not repent. He would actually go further into sin. Um, He would try to cover up his tracks, trying to bring Uriah the Hittite back from the, the battlefield and try to do all that he can to make sure that Uriah spent an evening with his wife so that he could wash his hands of the whole deal. But in God's sovereign hand, that wouldn't happen. Uriah the Hittite was way more honorable than this anointed man after God's own heart. So David does the unthinkable. He's already done the unthinkable. He's spiraling into sin, and many of us know just how that feels when you want to get into that spiral. And now he's going to have Uriah the Hittite killed. He's going to make it look like it's a battle thing, but he's going to put in Uriah's hand a note to give to the general. Hey, put Uriah up front. When he gets up front, draw from him. Make sure he gets killed. 
when he gets news that Uriah is dead, he acts flippantly. Ah, it's war. You know what happens. People are going to die. It's okay. But the Lord was so grieved. And it was the Lord who sent a prophet. And the prophet's name was Nathan. And Nathan was the one who had to go tell the king he had no clothes. He was the one who had to go tell the king, hey, you've messed up and you've messed up bad. Not only with Bathsheba and Uriah the Hittite, you've messed up before a holy God. So how does a Nathan, how does a prophet like Nathan tell a king who's got all the power that he's the one? So he tells this story. Remember last week he told the story of a rich man and a poor man, and a poor man only had one little ewe lamb that he raised it his own? And this rich man was so callous, he took him, he had some friends coming to town, so he said, hey, let's cook up the poor man's you. Let's take his. I won't use any of my flirts, flor, uh, flocks and herds. Let's use his. David hears a story and he gets ticked. He's like, oh my gosh, that's a terrible man. That man deserves to die. As a matter of fact, that man deserves to be paying back four times of what he's taken. That's a bad man, David says. And Nathan says, you're the man. By God's grace, the Holy Spirit in David's life, David repents. David doesn't just say, oh, I feel bad for what I've done. I'm embarrassed that that I've been caught. I feel bad about being caught. And now, ugh. No, no, no. He goes before the God, and he says, God, you've broken my bones. I get it. And I cry to you. And he says something kind of bizarre. He says, against you and you alone have I sinned. And we know the story. David sinned against a whole lot more than just God. But when it comes to the reality of whose law he broke and who he did it in front of a holy God, he realized he offended God first and foremost. And he had to cry out to God, created me a clean heart. Oh, cleanse me and remove my sin. Nathan the prophet tells him something amazing. Hey, you're not going to die. And God's going to put away your sin. But boy, oh boy, are there going to be consequences. Man. And we're going to see today the unfolding consequences of David's sinful behavior. As a matter of fact, you read through this section of Scripture, and you kind of want to look like this. Like, I I don't even want to see this. This is like a train wreck. Look what David has done with his life. David's sinful uh, behavior. Well, the sins of the father are bearing poisonous fruit. You won't believe what's going to happen to his family. David has repented of the sins, and the Lord has forgiven of David's sins. But you've got to watch this. Sin has consequences. Even sin that's forgiven, even sin that's nailed to the cross, there's things that have consequences. So we're going to see the sins of the Father. We're going to see the rebellion of the Son. We're going to see the futility of a fugitive king. And then we're going to end where I always love to end, the glory of Christ our King. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to pick up the story in uh, 2 Samuel 18, verses 1 through 18. We'll look at the last few verses as well. Let me remind you, this is God's word. Let me remind you where we are in the story. Uh, Absalom has come into town. He's run his father out of town. There's a civil war that's broken out. It's really ugly. And this is where we've picked up the story. 2 Samuel 18, hear the word of the Lord. Then David mustered the men who were with him and set over them commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds. And David sent out the army, one-third under the command of Joab, one-third under the command of Abashi, uh, the son of Zariah, Joab's brother, and one-third under the command of Ittai, the Gittite. And the king said to the men, 
I myself will also go out with you. But the men said, You shall not go out. For if we flee, they will not care about us. If half of us die, they will not care about us. But you are worth 10,000 of us. Therefore, it is better that you send us help from the city. The king said to them, Whatever seems best to you, I will do. So the king stood at the side of the gate while the army marched out by hundreds and by thousands. I mean, this is not a small little battle. I mean, it's amazing. Verse 5. And the king ordered Joab and Abashi and Ittai, Deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. And all the people heard when the king gave orders to the commanders about Absalom. So the army went out into the field against Israel, and the battle was fought in the forest of Ephraim. And the men of Israel were defeated, thereby the servants of David. And the loss there was great on that day, 20,000 men. The battle spread over the face of the country, and the forest devoured more people that day than the sword. It sounds like something out of Lord of the Rings, doesn't it? And Absalom happened to meet the servants of David. Absalom was riding on his mule, and the mule went under the thick branches of a great oak, and his head caught fast in the oak, and he was suspended between heaven and earth while the mule that was under him went on. Now, this is going to tell us about Absalom. He had the best head of hair. I mean, that was amazing. He had the Robbie Robinson head of hair in his day. It was amazing, but you know what? It was his pride. Can you imagine he's hung up by his hair in the tree? And a certain man saw it, verse 10, and told Joab, Behold, I saw Absalom hanging in an oak. Joab said to the man who told him, What? You saw him? Why then did you not strike him there to the ground? I would have been glad to give you ten pieces of silver and a belt. Joab, going against orders here, going to give out little, little, little cha-ching to those breaking the king's orders. But the man said to Joab, even if I felt in my hand the weight of thousand pieces of silver, I would not reach out my hand against the king's son. For in our hearing, the king commanded you and Abashi and Ittai, for my sake protect the young man Absalom. On the other hand, if I had dealt treacherously against his life, and there's nothing hidden from the king, then you yourself would have stood aloof. Joab said, I will not waste time with likes like this with you. And he took three javelins in his hand, and he thrust them into the heart of Absalom while he was still alive in the oak. And ten young men, Joab's armor-bearers, surrounded Absalom and struck him and killed him. Then Joab built, blew the trumpet, and the trumps came back from pursuing Israel, for Joab restrained them. And they took Absalom and threw him into a great pit in the forest and raised over him a very great heap of stones. And all of Israel fled, every one to his own home. Now listen about Absalom. Now Absalom in his lifetime had taken and set up for himself the pillar that is in the king's valley. For he said, I have no son to keep my name in remembrance. He called the pillar after his own name. And it's called Absalom's monument to this day. What an egomaniac. Okay, verse 19, all the way through verse 30, it's a foot race to go tell the king. It's an interesting story. Go ahead and read it after church of why you would have two people running to go tell the king news. Well, let's pick up the news in verse 31. And behold, the Cushite, one of the runners, 
came and the Cushite said, Good news for my lord the king, for the Lord has delivered this day from the hand of those who rose up against you. The king said to the Cushite, Is it well with the young man Absalom? And the Cushite answered, May the enemies of my lord the king and all who rise up against you for evil be like that young man. And the king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And he, as he went, he said, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would I have died instead of you? Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, what an amazing story of betrayal, of treachery, of brokenheartedness. Oh God, we thank you that you tell us the truth of those who had a heart after you like King David. And God, you, you show us the, the consequences of our sin and brokenness. Oh God, this story is it's almost hard to look at as we see the depth of pain. But God, we thank you that there is always hope in your grace and mercy in the work of your Son. Oh God, what we need to have this morning is not a history lesson. What we need to have is a transformational sermon that tells the good news of the gospel. So God, would you do that which only you could do? Would you speak through a broken sinner like me? And would you give us ears to hear your voice? And God, would you give us minds to understand your word found way back in 2 Samuel 18? And God, would you give us hearts that would embrace your truth? God, may we know who we are in this story and how it points to your son. And God, would you give us feet that would walk in a manner worthy of your name? Oh God, the things that I say that are wrong are just my opinion. May those things fall away and be forgotten. But the things that are said that are true and contain the good news of the gospel, use those things to make us more like your son, our Savior, Jesus. And it's in his matchless name that we pray. Amen. So last week we ended with Nathan confronting David and David uh, repenting. And right, right at the end of that story, David and Bathsheba come together. It's the only time that, that actually Bathsheba's given the name Bathsheba, not just Uriah the Hittite's a wife. And they're going to conceive and have a boy named Solomon. And that Solomon means peace. And you think, okay, the story's going to get good, right? But no. I mean, immediately after David's confronted by Nathan, we see David's sin bearing fruit. And it's the most ugly, poisoned fruit in his family. Hit pause. Can we relate? Are there not things in our family that we see? Let's be honest with each other. Have we not seen even things in our own kids' lives that they repeat that we've done? And let me tell you, we see some amazing sins of the Father. First thing is the sins of the Father. Right at the end of chapter 12, where we were last week, you can move, turn to chapter 13. If you have your Bible, you may want to look at this. I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to really tell you the rest of the story. So in chapter 13, you have David's oldest son. His name's Amnon, and he's going to rape his sister, his half-sister, Tamar. I mean, it's a disgusting story. I mean, Amnon is going to fall in love, supposedly, with his half-sister Tamar. He's going to be so lovesick that he doesn't know what to do. I love this girl. I can't have her. So he's got a terrible friend who says, here's what you've got to do. Pretend you're sick. Just pretend you're sick, and the king will and say, hey, can, can I have my sister Tamar come and cook something for me? I'm not feeling good. So just stay in your room, have her come, tell the king you've got to have her come, and when she comes, there you go. 
Works out. Tamar comes, thinks her brother's sick, half-brother. Goes in the room. Amnon grabs her, rapes her. She's like, what are you doing? You're disgracing me. What are you doing? Soon as, soon as that's over, he says, get out of here, woman. And it says, Scripture says he hates her more than he loved her. Did he ever really love her? And he wants to drive her out. And she says, don't do this to me. This is even worse than what you just did. You're going to drive me out? You have the shame i got to go bear on my own? This is going to be a secret you want me to keep? You know, you're not going to do the right thing? You know, just get out of my presence, Amnon says. Guess where Tamar goes? Her full brother's house, Absalom. Absalom. So Absalom, <laughs> Absalom spends two years brewing. And never once says a word to Amnon. Never once word good or bad. He just stews. Hit pause. Not good. If you just feel like the best thing is clamming up and not talking about your pain, your sorrow, your brokenness, not good. And so here he has two years, doesn't say anything, and then he's going to make, make justice in his own hands. Absalom kills his brother. This is chapter 13, verses 23 through 33. After two full years, he says, here's what I'm going to do. Hey, Dad, King David, I'm going to have a party for my sons. I want everybody to come. David's a little bit worried. Why does everybody have to come? I really want to have Amnon come, but everybody's going to come to a party. You really need everybody? Yep, come on, Dad, I'm going to have a party. He throws a party for all of the sons. Amnon goes with all of his brothers, his bros. They're out there with the sheep, and they're all they're like, woo and, and Absalom says, hey, listen, guys, servants, when Amnon's drunk, kill him. It happens. He has all his brothers to a party. He watches his brother Amnon get drunk. He hates him. Then he has him killed. They all flee. They all run. They run back. David at one time thinks that all of his sons were killed. He said, no, no, just, just one. Amnon's done. He's, he's, he's gone. But do you know what Absalom does? He runs out of David's presence for three years. Three, remember, two years he doesn't say anything. Here's another three years. He's gone. He just says, I'm going to run away from David. Run away from my sins. And David, thirdly, he ignores his sinful sons. When Amnon rapes his half-sister, his granddaughter, David's angry. But David doesn't do anything about it. David just gets ticked. But doesn't deal with his son. He sweeps it under the carpet. And now when Absalom kills his firstborn son Amnon and runs, David doesn't talk about it. David doesn't go after his son. For three whole years, he ignores him. This is not good. And I think about how many family problems we have that we ignore, that we're not dealing with. Sinfulness, it's uncomfortable. That if we only just went, had the guts in Christ to go deal with them, Maybe you could do something with them. If, if you are in strife with a person in your family, if you think that the silent treatment is a good thing, if you think the best way to do it is try to ignore it and think that hopefully it will go away, wrong. It's always going to bear awful fruit. And it did. So, so Joab, who, by the way, read through Scripture, I call the guy Joab the snake. I can't stand Joab. But Joab concocts another story. It's, it's all stories here. And he says, listen, we've got to bring Absalom back. So he takes some woman and says, pretend to be a widow. Here's a sad sob story. Go tell the king. She goes tell the king. The king says, listen, we got to get this person back. And she says again, by the way, you're the man. You got a son that you're just ignoring. He says, okay, go ahead and bring Absalom back. 
Absalom comes in. Guess what the king does? He can come to Jerusalem. I'm not going to see him. I'm not going to talk to him. Years pass. Are you kidding me? Years pass. A father rejecting a son. A father not dealing with his son's sinfulness. Boy, will this bear fruit. You know, for three years, he doesn't talk to him. And guess what happens? Absalom breaks, wouldn't you? Absalom rebels, wouldn't you? Absalom starts a civil war. Now, let's put ourselves in Absalom's shoes for a minute. His sister gets raped, kills his brother. His dad doesn't deal with him. The dude's angry. I mean, this whole royal family will not communicate. They sweep things under the rug. They left situations, they let situations fester and do deadly infectious sores. How much different would this story be if King David properly parented his children? How much of this would be different if he was mending broken relationships, dealing with issues head on as parents? Our children need to be parented and provide an atmosphere, even when they grow up, the godly atmosphere for healthy relationships. And then you see the rebellion of the son. By the way, Scripture describes Absalom. In my day back then, I would call him Fabio. I'm probably dating myself. Anybody remember Fabio? This dude, this dude is like the best-looking guy, Scripture says. They said from the top of his head to the crown of his feet, he didn't have one blemish on him. They said his hair was so thick that once a year they cut his hair and they weighed it on scales. And that sounds really weird to me, and I don't understand what's going on. What they want to say is this guy is Fabio, or this guy, who's the best-looking guy? Who's... Who's that, who's that guy? Uh, uh, who's, who's, who's Thor? Chris Hemsworth? This is Chris Hemsworth right here, right? And Fabio, this is Chris. I mean, he is really an amazingly good-looking guy. Uh, doesn't have any kids. He's an egomaniac. He's a sexual pervert. Uh, and, and he's in rebellion. And so what does he do? Absalom's in Jerusalem. His dad won't talk to him. He goes, well, you know what? I'm going to start turning people's hearts toward me. And so he starts meeting people are coming to town and say, hey, what's the problem you got? Let me, you know, if, if I were king, I would deal with you. I love you. I can take, take care of this. And all of a sudden, over time, Absalom is turning the hearts away from his father into himself. Surprise, surprise. Absalom rebels. He sets him up, himself, up as king. He says, I'm my own judge. And it says in scripture, he stole the hearts of his people, of God's people. Absalom defiles the concubines of his father. When he goes into town and his dad's on the run, some idiot says, you know what the best thing you should do? You should pitch a tent on top where the king stays and you should take all of the concubines, the women that are his, and in broad daylight, you should have your way with him. This would be a good idea because you know what? When the king hears you did this, oh my goodness, there's no coming back now. And Absalom thought, that's a good idea. Let's in broad daylight. Go set up a tent. Let me show you what I think of my dad. Let me show you what I think of those concubines. Anybody remember what Nathan said to him? By the way, what you did in secret is going to be done in broad daylight. You thought you got away with Bathsheba? But let me tell you something, this is going to be pretty awful for you. It comes to fruition. Absalom battles the soldiers loyal to his father. And man, I'm telling you, this was not a small war. Did you hear how many people died in this? 20,000. This is Gettysburg. This is about half of those who died in Korea or Vietnam. I mean, this is a big war. And here you have Absalom battling the soldiers loyal to his father. 
Then you have the, fugi- the futility of a fugitive king. Let's look at 18 and see what we see with David. It's very interesting. You have a king who's willing to battle with his troops, but won't. In verses 1 through 4, it says, hey, I'm going to go out with you. And they said, no, no, are you crazy? They don't give a rat's fanny about us. They care about you. And they want you. You're not going to go. He says, whatever you think is right, I'll just do whatever you think is right. All right. You have a king who's willing to save his rebellious son, but couldn't. Here he says to them, he gets us the command. He goes, okay, guys, be gentle to my boy. Be nice to him. This Absalom, the one who's killed thousands, the one who slept with my concubines, the one who I haven't, be nice to my boy. This is my boy. Be nice to him. Don't hurt him. Be good to my rebellious son, but he couldn't. I mean, my goodness, what did Absalom cause? This is a king who's willing to die in his rebellious son's stead, but didn't. At the end of the story, did you not hear, did you not be moved by what David said? At the end of the story, he cries out and he says, Oh, my son, Absalom. My son, my son, Absalom. What is being stressed there? This is so intimate. If only I have died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. After all that has happened, David mourns the death of his rebellious son. David longs to say, man, Absalom, I wish I could died in your place. What a story, right? But we have good news. We don't have a fugitive king. We have a king who's greater than David. And his name is Jesus. But for you to understand this story, you've got to understand you're Absalom. Oh, no, I'm not, Jeff. I'm not that rebellious. Oh, no, no, no. I, I submit to the king. Oh, no, no, no. I, I don't want to be king and judge. Oh, come on. Don't all of us want to be king and judge of our own lives? Don't all of us want to rule and reign for ourselves? I mean, we look at a story like this and we always think that we're the good guy. But you know what? The story like this is we're all sinners and broken, rebellious in front of a holy God, wanting our own authority, wanting to be king and judge, driven by our own sinful desires. Are we not? Caring about ourselves more than others. Are we not? But let me tell you about the glory of Christ our King. Our king was willing and able to battle his and our enemies. And he does. And what he battled was sin and death. And he did it by becoming a man and walking among us and fulfilling the law and dying on the cross to absorb the Father's wrath. And what it says is he, he has conquered gods and our enemies through his life, death, and resurrection. You have a king who's willing to battle evil face-to-face for us and does. You have a king who's willing and able to save his rebellious sons and daughters. And he does. That's why he came. That's why he rescued. That's why he would experience all that we have experienced as a human being. Why? To save you and me. Because before time began, he loved us. And before time began, he and the Father had a plan to rescue us. And this king is able. And then lastly... Our king was willing to die for his rebellious sons and daughters. And he does. Oh, what a king. Oh, what a savior. 
This is Jesus who says, I'll stand in their place. We deserve the Father's wrath. He says, I'll take it. We deserve to die. He says, I'll do it. We, we deserve to be separated from the Father. He says, I'll do it. Why? So that you can be loved, forgiven, and free. So you can be brought in, so you can be given life and life abundantly. This is the amazing good news of the gospel. This is what our king does for us. I will die for them so that they will live. So he will call out, oh, Absalom, oh, your name, oh, Jeff, Jeff, my son, my son, I've died in your place. I mean, a longing of a king who would die for a rebellious son. It's a beautiful story, is it not? And David and Absalom, but the gospel is so much better because that's what our Savior has done for us. He has died so that we could live. How is it with you this morning? Do you know this king? I mean, do you really know this king? Have you tasted the spoils of the king's victory? of life and life abundantly, of forgiveness of sins, knowing that you are loved and you are his. For those of you who have maybe been close to religion, maybe heard the story, but have never tasted the victory of sins forgiven, there's nothing like Jesus. May today be the day. It's not that you can be religious. Listen, you're rebellious like Absalom, like you, like me. We're all broken. We need God's grace. But there is a king who loves and a king who dies for us that we may live. For those of you who haven't embraced that king, may you taste the victory today. May today be the first time you say, confess your sins and embrace Christ as a reality. But for those of us sinner knuckleheads like me, who by God's grace realize that my king died in my place, there's a meal that reminds us, taste the victory. Taste the victory. Remember the sacrifice. Remember the body that was broken, the blood that was shed. Remember the meal that will come and the victory that will come when we see him face to face. Do this in remembrance of me. For those who don't know Jesus as a personal Savior, Scripture says, don't take of a meal that proclaims you do. I mean, this is just a sign and, and, and a, a symbol that points to something else. This is a sacred meal for those who have repented and believed. Instead of the meal, embrace Christ. Do it today. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, what a story. God, it's, it's, it's hard to watch. It's hard to watch the unfolding of what happens to David and his family. They are so dysfunctional. And if we're honest, we raise our hands and say, so are we. I mean, what makes it so painful is we get it. This is the sins of the father bearing fruit in his children. And those of us who are fathers and mothers, we just cringe to think, what are we passing on to our kids? And God, the reality is, is that there's no hope apart from you. God, I love David. David wanted to protect Absalom, but he couldn't. He wanted to die in Absalom's space, place, but he didn't. In a lot of ways, it's compelling that a king could love his son who's as awful as Absalom. But Jesus, you love somebody even more as awesome, as awful, and sinful as me. And you didn't just desire to die in my place. You did. And because of your life, death, and resurrection, 
I can live. We can live. We could be forgiven and free. Jesus, you never wanted us to forget. So you gave us a meal to remind us. Come feed us today, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.